0: You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. let doing later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. In the aftermath of G Day, throughout the football offseason to this point, it's been Charlie who's been joining me each Monday for our Monday mailbag episodes. But this week, we wanted to get our G Day reactions out to you as soon as possible. So, joining me today for our annual G Day overreaction episode is my longtime co-host Curtis. And we're gonna recap the spring as a whole outside of this one practice later on this week when we take a look back and try to answer the 10 questions we had for the team going into spring practice, we'll get to that. But today is all about G-Day, our one and only glimpse of this 2021 Georgia football team prior to kickoff in Charlotte on September 4th. In reality, you guys know this, the spring game is just one of 15 spring practices. The most revealing practice, sure, absolutely. But it's still just one practice, a glorified scrimmage, so to speak. But still, even though it may just be one practice, it is our one and only glimpse of the team between January and September. Therefore, All of us, almost to a person, and I totally throw myself into that equation as well, we tend to overreact to the spring game. It's kind of what we do. Narratives are created, perceptions are developed, and conclusions are drawn. It's it's an annual college football rite of passage, basically. That's what, what it's become. And try as I might not to do those things and to have a little bit of perspective. The fact is, it's really hard not to do those things because, again, we're just so starved for football and so desperate for information, we really just can't help ourselves. It's just what happens. So today, instead of trying to be boring and reserved in our analysis of G-Day, we're just going to lean fully in on the overreactions. We're going to own it. We're just going to go with it. Now, is that irresponsible of us? Sure, absolutely. But again, let's just have some fun today. And the way we're going to do this is I've got a series of hot takes from G-Day that I'm just going to throw out there. And Curtis is going to tell me whether those takes are overreactions or appropriate reactions. And I'm not saying that I 100% believe all these hot takes, but again, we're just going to have some fun with the day. So we're going to start. The first hot take I've got for today, Curtis, if you looked at what happened yesterday, if you watched that GA scrimmage, I think one thing a lot of fans saw, and I heard from a lot of people over social media yesterday, the offensive line didn't look like it has come close to gelling like it needs to gel by the time September rolls around. Now, obviously, it's mid-April. There is time to go here. But we gave up six sacks. The first thing we got, four sacks yesterday. JT Daniels, I don't want to say he was running for his life, but it wasn't the best performance from the offensive line yesterday during G-Day. So, Kirk, first hot take here. The offensive line is a bigger concern than the secondary. Everyone's been worried about the secondary, but right now I'm putting it out there. The offensive line is a bigger concern than the secondary right now. Overreaction or appropriate reaction? I think it's an overreaction.
2: The biggest reason I say it's an overreaction is because realistically, you look at the talent we have, and talent's not a problem. Um, maybe um, some experience and everything is, but we have tons of depth at the offensive line position that we just don't currently have in the defensive backfield. So that's why I go overreaction just because of, I mean, yeah, we're right now. We only, we only have what one or two people that have experience really, truly game time experience. So that with the talent that we've recruited at, I don't see it being as, you know, severe as it is, as we are in the backfield, like in the defensive backfield, like we, very much need a transfer but that's not the case on the offensive line
0: okay everything you said makes a lot of sense that's fair I agree with you that we do have a lot of talent in the offensive line talent is not necessarily the issue right now I'm with you on that but can't you say the same thing about and really we're talking about cornerback we say secondary but we feel good about the safety position right now at least the top two safeties we feel good about but the maybe you do I don't you don't feel good about safety
2: I mean, scenes has been around and things like that, but the guy, as you saw, is not great in pass coverage.
0: Well, what, okay, what safeties in the country really are great in pass coverage? That's not what safeties do by a trade. They're basically corners who can't cover like corners can.
2: Oh, I agree. But when you also throw in Christopher Smith, who I don't think is, I mean, yeah, he's put on weight, but he still has a way to go, truly playing in the box too compared to where Richard was.
0: See, I would slightly disagree with you. I think, Chris, I, I think Richard was. Clearly more experienced and probably a better player than Chris Smith. And I don't think we lost much back there when Chris Smith went back there when Richard went down. Uh, he knows what to do. The coaches trust him. I trust him out there now. Does he move as well as Richard? Does he cover as much ground? Probably not. But again, I don't think it's I don't think it's a dramatic drop off from Richard Lecount there. I, I mean, I feel pretty good about a safety. Do we have the two best safeties in the country? No, I'm not going to say that we do. But I feel pretty good about where we are at the safety position. Quarterback, I do obviously have some concerns about the inexperience. But wouldn't you say that we have the – just like we have the talent the offensive line, I don't think that's the issue. Can't you say the same thing about cornerback right now? Like talent's not the issue. It's just the experience thing, right?
2: Um, Not as, as severe as the offensive line. The offensive line, I mean, for the most part, you have five stars left and right. That's not really the case as much with – outside of Keely Ringo, I mean, Amir Speed was not a highly sought-after guy. True.
0: Yeah, he, wasn't, he even was, uh, wasn't a five star. But Kimber was a he was a high, highly rated four star. He was a borderline top one hundred prospect in the two four seven composite. He put up some big numbers at, at the Nike camps. Some of those spark numbers. Well, were Well, yeah, but that's what, compared to
2: what we have at the offensive line. I mean, Roger Jones was probably one of the top two guys in his class. And then you yep. know we all know how great a Mayor Mims is. So I mean, those are like that's the talent I'm comparing to on the offensive line compared to what that which what we do not have. On the defense or on the in the safety or the cornerback I area,
0: and I, and, I, and I I, will say, you and I were texting during the game Saturday. The offensive line, like when you watched it in person and just watched it live, like I came, I walked out of the stadium, and was like, Oh man, like I don't feel great about our offensive line, and that's what that was kind of the impetus for this hot take. But going back and re watching G Day once I got home last night. I felt better about the offensive line because you're right, Curtis. A lot of the issues, a lot of the sacks that were given up were basically just blown assignments. You know what I mean? It wasn't like guys yeah, a lot of came on blitzes
2: with the young guys where he didn't have the cohesive yet. And yeah. they, you know, there probably wasn't great communication on if he goes who's, you know, of the yeah. stunts. Because that's where they really take Rattledge got beat a lot, was the stunts.
0: There was one where where Wyatt just blew him up. Okay. There was definitely yeah. one where Wyatt just blew I up heard. Rattledge. But there were a couple where, even if it wasn't a sack, where they affected the quarterback and it it basically blew up the play and we had to scramble and and check it down. A lot of those were the stunning, the gaming up front, the twist, all those things. And normally you don't see that when you watch a a spring scrimmage or a G-Day. And we weren't being, like, crazy exotic. We weren't throwing in the kitchen sink at them. But we were twisting. We were stunting, doing all the games up front. We were running some fire zone stuff. I mean, we got that one play where – Nolan gets caught in coverage on James on James Cook when, and JT hits him for the big game down the side of there. So we were doing some different things. We were running some fire zones. So it wasn't completely vanilla like you usually see. And you're right when you have some young guys like Roger Jones, like Amarius Mims, like Tate Rallage. That's where they show. Sure, there's. You mentioned Tate Rattledge, yeah. A couple most of the time when he was having issues, it was because he didn't pass off a stunt or twist or whatever it was. Broderick Jones, same thing. Sometimes just didn't know exactly who we were supposed to be blocking. And those are things that can be fixed. Because like I said, we are sitting here, it's mid April. We aren't ready right now. if we played Clemson tomorrow, Curtis, it might be uh it might be a tough a tough ass to block those that defensive line, right? At this point. Well yeah, and I think one thing too that people also gotta take into account is like Wide receivers our DBs
2: played against yesterday weren't our top guys, but the defensive line that our offensive line went against is probably one of the best in the SEC, if not competing for one of the best defensive lines in the nation.
0: Yeah. we're gonna, That's one of my next hot takes later. And, we'll and, go there and I think
2: that's one thing too, that makes me not as worried is like iron sharpens iron. And that's definitely going to be the case when it comes to our defensive line, making our offensive line better.
0: You're right. That our defensive line is one of the best in America. We're going to come to that a little bit later on the show. So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, but I agree with you there. I definitely agree with you. But wouldn't you also say that Clemson's is right up there as well? Well, and that's
2: why I'm not as truly worried at this point. I mean, it's it's what, the end of April, and we've got a couple months to go, and every day in practice when our offensive lines working, trying to get more cohesive, they're going to be going against a defensive line that's just as good. So it's not like we're, you're going out. No, day one or game one against Clemson facing a defensive line that you've never faced yet. You think that, oh, hey, we're pretty good. Yet yeah, that's not the truth because your defensive line wasn't good.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And a big part of it, you mentioned the cohesiveness. That's a big part of the offensive line issues right now. During the spring, so what the spring is for, guys, a spring is for moving around, cross training guys, finding the best five. You hear that all the time. We got to find our best five. Now, does that mean, you know, with your best five, does that mean that Jamari Salyer's playing guard? And you think it's better to have Brock Jones or Marius Mendela tackle and Tate Ralligen at, at guard, or do you move Salyer out to left tackle? There's all sorts of different things that we can do. There's mixing and matching going on there. And so right now, you can't, I, I think it's a little bit unreasonable to expect there to be a lot of cohesion on the offensive line when we've spent all spring mixing and matching and moving these guys around. And unfortunately, the way it works, with, it's why we call it the overreaction episode. All we see is the one G day scrimmage. We don't see what's going on day to day, practice to practice. This is in reality, again, this is just one small snapshot. It's one practice as far as the coaches are concerned. It just happens to be the, the one that we see. So if a guy like Tate Ratledge you know, gives up a, a sack or two here and there after we've heard all spring how great he's been, all of a sudden we're like, oh man, like, that was just a bunch of hype, man. Was, we got sold a bill of goods. He's not that good. He's not that, he's not ready. And really, we don't know. We've, we've got one glimpse out of here. And so, but again, when you get one glimpse, you're going to overreact. And I did the same thing when in the stadium, walking out, I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I feel great about the offensive line, but go back and watching it. You're right. Chris, I feel much better about the talent on the offensive line. We just have to go about finding the best fit, the best five. And some of those young guys, the Roger Jones, the Mims, the Tate Ratlages, all guys who I think are going to factor into this competition, moving into fall camp here in a couple of months, those guys have to get more experienced, they have to just get more comfortable there along the offensive line. And, and unfor- I will say the unfortunate reality is we have to play Clemson week one and whoever it goes, whether it's Broderick Jones at right tackle or Amarius Marius Mims at left tackle or Tate Ratledge at right guard, we're going to have someone in the lineup in the starting lineup against Clemson that doesn't have a lot of experience. And that's a really tough thing to ask someone to walk into when you're going against one of the best lines in America, guys that that really have have it all they they have speed rushers they have they have guys that the power game they have all of that and that's really tough to ask to them so that that's my only concern there is like somebody i'm not saying we're gonna have three true or redshirt freshmen out there week one we're gonna have at least one out there i think that's pretty i think that's a pretty fair assumption at this point and i guess that's where the concern is so uh, i don't know i I, i'll also say this before we move on saying that the offense mind is a bigger concern than secondary it's not so much that I'm concerned about the offensive line all that much. Again, when I went back and watched the tape, I felt a lot better about it. I just, I'm not crazy concerned about the secondary. Are there concerns? Yeah, sure. You'd be crazy not have some sort of concern. But like you said about the offensive line, you like the talent. I like the talent secondary. I think Keely Ringo is going to be a guy that grows into a starting cornerback for us by the time the season starts. I I, I can't guarantee that. I That's just my belief right now based off what I saw in an extraordinarily small sample size, obviously, just knowing the physical profile of this guy. you got to remember, guys, this, these 15 practices this spring were his first 15 college practices where this guy's actually out there physically doing things. There's clearly a learning curve, but he's got time. So the offensive line has time to gel. Guys like Keely Ringo have time to get more into a rhythm, understand the system, play a little faster. Because right now, what, what I saw yesterday is that Keely Ringo – clearly frequently gifted out there with it from a talent perspective i don't think he was playing as fast as i think he probably did in high school because his head's just spinning right now Curry, did you get that feel watching keely ringo yeah exactly like that big hit he put on lad mcconkey
2: it was more of yeah. just like a reaction like see him go hit him um right. but like i you could see a little bit of hesitation in him just because he's still trying to get it
0: his head's spinning. It, it, there's no doubt about it, and that's going to take time. But, again, I, he was in all the meetings, and Kirby's raved about you know how engaged he was last year. I, you know, After undergoing the labrum surgery, he couldn't practice, but he's in the meeting rooms. He's going through reps, mental reps, all those things. And that's great, but there's no substitute for actual physical reps. And he did not get any of those until spring practice opened this March. That's just the reality. So it's kind of hard to expect him to just jump in right now and be the starter right away. Because think about it, I know he's not an early enrollee. But would you expect an early enrollee to just jump in right away and be an immediate impact starter? Look, I know it happens occasionally, but usually after the first 15 practices of spring, you might hear some positive buzz about some of these early enrollees, but a lot of times they don't end up actually starting right away. And we're kind of putting those expectations on Keely Ringo. And I know he's not an early enrollee true fresh right now. I get that he was here last year, but in terms of practice reps, he kind of is. So I don't know. I just want to put that out there. I, I still believe in him and I'm just not as worried about the secondary as a lot of people are. Again, I am, there are concerns. I just, I'm not freaking out about it. I do think we're probably going to go out and find a transfer that has some experience that will further assay, assuage some of those concerns.
1: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All
0: right, let's move on here to the second take, Curtis. A.D. Mitchell, we talked about him a couple weeks ago on the show. There's a lot of buzz really all spring long, especially after George Pickens goes down when we're trying to find somebody to step up and replace him. Jermaine Burton goes down with injury. He'll be back shortly. He was actually dressed out yesterday, did not get in the game, but he was at least dressed out, which is a good sign. But A.D. Mitchell has had a lot of opportunities this spring with some of those injuries at receiver, and he has made the most of it. Now, he is – A true freshman early enrollee, although it is kind of misleading because he basically didn't play – he just wasn't doing anything last year except working out. He didn't play high school ball, skipped that sip last year, and uh, has been just trying to get ready for this season. And you can tell. Seven catches, 105 yards receiving, led the team in receiving, had a really nice touchdown catch. So my hot take here, Curtis, with A.D. Mitchell, is that this guy will wind up on the all-SEC freshman list by the end of the 2021 season, overreaction or appropriate reaction?
2: I think it's a little bit overreaction. And I only say that because when people like, you know, you mentioned uh, Jermaine Burton and people like that, when they get back, are the opportunities going to be there as much? Now, the one thing that I think is in his favor is that we don't truly have someone on our roster that fits what he can do um, when you're thinking about his size.
0: What about, we didn't see Justin Robinson yesterday. He's nursing an Achilles injury. I don't think it's a major Achilles injury, but we're just being – obviously with an Achilles, you've got to be very, very, very cautious with that. So we're just being cautious to a fault there. But do you think Justin Robinson can kind of do some of the things that Mitchell does with with kind of catch, those catching those contested balls, 50-50 balls, things of that nature? Um, Yeah,
2: exactly. And, I mean, just that in general is why I don't say, see him making the list. Now, I think the guy is actually – like, I like his six-foot-four frame. Um. You know, he actually has good hands once he got comfortable out there. Um, But I'm just – I I don't know if there's going to be the opportunities. That's the only reason, like I said, I don't – I think it's overreaction on that part. But I do see the guy going to contribute.
0: Even though I'm the one who put this hot take out there, I don't, this is one of those, like I said at the outset, I don't 100% buy all these hot takes. Uh, There's a little bit of tongue in cheek here, but this is one that I'm not 100% in on. I do think AD Mitchell is going to be a contributor. I think he's going to be in the rotation, right? Is that that safe to say, Curse? Do you feel good about him at least being in the rotation?
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. I think he'll be contributing out there.
0: Yeah, he's going to be a contributor to all SEC freshmen. So let's think about this. George Pickens back in 2019 was all SEC freshmen, put up over 700 yards receiving, okay? um seth williams a couple years ago was in 2018 535 yards received now we'll say Traylon burks in 2019 was also all sec first team all sec freshman team along with george because only put up 475 yards but typically speaking you're going to, have to put up somewhere around five to seven hundred ish yards all right they the the, the, received, the true freshman from lsu last year was a boot boote, however you say his name bootay I think he put up yeah. he put up over I think eight hundred yards receiving last seven eight hundred yards receiving last year in a ten game season. So to be all SEC fresh, especially with how the SEC has opened the passing game up over the past couple of years, you're going to have to put up between five and eight hundred ish yards to probably make that list. And I just I'm with you, Chris. I don't think there's going to be the opportunities for Mitchell to put up those kind of yards once everyone gets back healthy and hopefully if they stay healthy, once we get Jermaine Burton back fully, which seems, I mean, probably be any day now. I think if it was a real game yesterday, he probably would have played yesterday. Arian Smith played yesterday, but obviously was in a white jersey, non-contact jersey, still dealing with uh, with the, the wrist injury there. But he's been out for a couple of weeks, but he's, he's, he's back pretty much, more or less. So with those guys available, and let's also factor this in, Curtis, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, who I think are probably going to be our top two tight ends, almost certainly going to be at least Washington, probably Bowers as well, our top two tight ends this season. They weren't even working with the first team. So Mitchell wasn't having to compete with those guys for touches. So I just don't – I think he's a talented guy. If you ask me based on talent, yeah, I think he has the talent to be an (laughs) All-SEC freshman if he was – going to get the opportunities to put up those kind of numbers. I just don't think he's going to get enough looks with all the talent that we have. You I know, mean, all the running backs we've got to get touches to. I mean, we've got them heavily involved in the running game or in the passing game yesterday. They had over 20, almost 25 catches combined yesterday between the running backs on, on the first and second team. You got Jermaine Burden, You got Kiers Jackson. You got Arian Smith. We haven't even seen Justin Robinson yet. D-Rob doing some good things. You got Darnell. You got Brock Bowers. You got all these guys that get touches, and I just don't see – Enough to go around for A.D. Mitchell to wind up on the all SEC freshman team. But again, that does not mean that he doesn't have the talent to do that. Just a, a matter of opportunities. All right, moving on here. Let's stick with the passing game. Let's talk about the quarterback play here for a minute, Curtis. We all, we all know JT Daniels is the guy. It, it's clear. And we kind of joked around with it on the week four spring practice recap last week. Like, you know, we heard all this buzz about, about Carson Beck. I mean, can he actually push JT Daniels? Obviously, that's not going to be happening. J, this is JT's job. This is his team. But my hot take here, Curtis. JT Daniels is going to set the Georgia single-season passing record. Aaron Murray, a little over 3,800 yards back in the year's 2012. Did you see enough yesterday, and then the small sample size to end last season, Curtis, to say that's not an overreaction? Um, yeah, I
2: agree. I do not believe it's an overreaction. The biggest thing is JT is just so versatile. Um, the one thing I love about him is – you know, he's a gunslinger mentality when it comes to wanting to throw the deep ball. Like, he even made he He loves throwing the deep ball. But he's so smart where if it's not there, he'll take the check down and still get yards. So, I think that's the one thing that, like, I love when I watch him is, like, he's he's not afraid to take the check down. He's not afraid to go get those extra yards that are out there, almost like a run play. And I think that Tom Munkin is almost to the point, too, with JT, where you trust him so much that you'd rather the ball be in his hands on a first down. Um... And, you know, an early down instead of getting him in a passing situation where he say where he knows that JT is going to be like, OK, if the deep ball is not there where I want to take a uh, take a shot, then I can dump it off, still get three, four five yards, even more with our running backs. And it's just as good as a run play on the first down. Um, so I think Absolutely. the opportunities are going to be there. And I think this is an offense that's built for him to set records or to, you know, at least for Georgia's standards.
0: One thing I told you guys, I know it's been a couple of years now, I guess a year and a half or so when Todd Munkin was hired and we were breaking down what he's going to bring to the table, how our offense is going to change all those kind of things. The one big thing that I tried to hammer home was that what this guy has done at basically every stop is he has thrown the ball to win. He knows how to pass to win. Doesn't mean that we're not going to run the football. We saw our offense last year. Now granted, We had some, some quarterback talent deficiencies with, with Stetson Bennett. God bless the guy. But, um, we know he knows how to build an offense that throws to win. And I think you're going to see that more this year, Curtis. And Curtis, let me ask you this. I look, I know this is a this is a spring scrimmage. And so you wanna you want to get the fans all excited. It's not exactly the offense you're gonna see, the defense you're gonna see out there, but I crunched the numbers. We threw the ball with our first and second team last yesterday, 87 times combined. We only ran the ball combined 42 times. Are you drawing any conclusions off of that in terms of what our offense might look like more so this year? Are we going to lean more heavily past, or is that just kind of a one day G day thing where we're trying to just spice things up and get the crowd excited?
2: Um, Well, the big thing
0: I actually thought that
2: we passed so much um, had more to do with the fact that Kirby kind of made that comment that that's the only way you can see what we have defensive back-wise is to throw the ball. Now, if you're out there just running it a lot of the time in G-Day, you don't truly get an idea of what you have back there. So we kind of had to throw the ball. But even then, our offense under JT Daniels, if you notice – our ability to throw the ball opened up the run game so much that we actually need to throw the ball 30-plus 30, 30 times to open up our run game to give them more lanes and give them free reign, free honestly, out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the big I, thing
2: that I think about, too, is they mentioned it in the program that Todd Munkin last year almost made three to four different offenses that like, he didn't know yeah. who the quarterback was going to be. And when you have a settled quarterback race, it allows you to build an offense so you know it's JT, you know what he can do. And now you can build an offense that fits him and the rest of the team.
0: I thought last year was maybe one of, not maybe, I think it was one of the best offensive coordinator performances in Georgia history. I truly believe that. And I know our offense wasn't stellar. I know we weren't anywhere near the top of the, uh, of the country in terms of total yards, efficiency and all that. But like you just said, Curtis, thinking about the injuries that we dealt with, thinking about how he had to basically reshape our offense on the fly multiple times throughout the season in a COVID season, I thought Todd Mungin did a fantastic job. And if you look at JT Daniels last year, we threw the ball. Once he became the quarterback, we started to throw the ball a lot more. Now, Mississippi State, they stoned our run. Cincinnati did a good job slowing down our run game. But if you look at those two games – we threw the ball 38 times, ran the ball 23 times against Mississippi State. Now, yes, they really did a great job stopping our run, but he was willing again, willing to throw to win. JT put up over 400 yards again. We had a receiver, a 2 freshman receiver, Jermaine Burney, almost broke the single game receiving record because we know how to throw to win if we have to. Cincinnati, same thing, 39 pass attempts, 24 rush attempts. Now, I know you can look at Missouri, you look at South Carolina and say, well, we, we ran, the ball, ran the ball about twice as many times we threw the ball in those games. But that's because we were just so much better than those teams, and we bludgeoned them early, and we were just trying to run the clock out. That's what happened in those games. But well, even game, when you got down to it, think about Missouri. Our
2: offense, you know, we started sputtering out for a while, and we were starting to get nervous. But yeah. the passing game at the end of the half and everything, like you said, throwing the ball to win, and it opened up the run game in the second half.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just think – all I'm saying is, like, with the – opportunity, like, when there were games that were closely contested, Mississippi State, Cincinnati, and you're right, Curtis at times in the first half uh, against Missouri – we were not will, uh, not just willing, but also able to throw the ball with a lot of success. And I think you're going to see that this year as well. Sure, there's going to be games where we're just blowing teams out and we're going to just run the ball and run the clock out and just get out of the way the because we know what Kirby Smart likes to do in those situations. That's going to happen. And I'm not expecting us to throw the ball twice as much as we ran, run the ball like we saw on, on Saturday at GJ. You're exactly right, Kers. I think there's a couple reasons why it was so lopsided in favor of throwing the football uh, yeah, sure, you want to get the fans excited. That's a small part of it. But, right, from a strategic standpoint, you want to test those young players in the secondary. Absolutely, totally agree there. These young receivers who haven't played as much, uh, guys like A.D. Mitchell, uh, guys like Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington played a lot, but still needs to get more opportunities in the passing game. You want to get those guys some confidence. Because we're going to get Jermaine Burton back, all, of course. All, you know, that's, we're going to be fine receiver. But you want to get those guys some confidence. You want to see what they can do in these settings. And you also want to start putting some Some cohesion. We talk about cohesion on the offensive line. You've got to be cohesion between JT Daniels and those receivers. And the more live reps you get in these kind of scrimmage settings, the better. So I think that's why you saw us get more than two to one differential throwing the football over running the ball. It's not going to be that much of a gap through the season. But I, I do think that you're probably going to see us throw the ball more than we have in 15, 20 years. I, I think I'm ready to say that at this point with JT Daniels, the options we have because we're just loaded. We're just loaded everywhere. Even without George, we're loaded. and because, Just like we mentioned, it's kind of the inverse of the A.D. Mitchell thing. I don't think A.D. Mitchell is going to get enough opportunities to be All-SCC freshman, but I do think JT Daniels, as long as he stays healthy, is going to get enough opportunities to run the football to break that single-season record, especially if – like, who knows what ends up happening. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if we – if the SCC title game – if we win that, if we get the Coshwell playoff, you play 14, 15 games, yeah, I think he's going to break that record. Just the opportunity is going to be there. And he's also that talented and he has the talent around him. So yeah, I uh, I actually think that's gonna happen. I don't think that's an overreaction at all. All right, let's stick with the quarterbacks for another minute or two here, Curse. We talked about Carson Beck last week on the show in our week four spring practice recap, but now we actually got to see him. We've heard a lot of hype throughout the the, the entire spring, really, especially the past couple of weeks, we finally got to see Carson Beck in action, really for the first time in uh in, in a Georgia uniform. So my hot take here, Carson, I don't even think this one is that that hot to be honest with you. I think this is just pretty clear. But Carson Beck is the clear backup to JT Daniels. Overreaction or appropriate reaction? I think it's an appropriate
2: reaction. The um the one thing Jordan Rogers kept saying and I actually agree with is he's actually probably got the best throwing motion of our quarterbacks like the best very smooth pure-
0: just passer.
2: Yeah.
0: Very smooth. I've been, mean, I've been telling you guys, and like we said I mean, last week, he's got, go. he's got the tools.
2: He's got all the tools. And I never thought Brock really had a chance to be our guy, the second string guy this year. Just the fact of like, he's so inexperienced compared to the other two.
0: And you could see his head. There were a couple of plays yesterday where his head was kind of spinning, where he didn't know exactly what was going on. Because, guys, he's been on campus for about four months now. Like that, don't free, and I'm not worried about Brock. At all. I, I still think Brock's gonna be great. It's gonna be a heck of a battle in 2022. But you're right, Brock's not ready right now, and so it comes down to Carson Becker's stats a minute. What did and have? Four pass attempts yesterday, Curtis.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you saw it on that one. I mean, he had a couple. I, I just think I keep thinking back to that pick he had where the ball just floated, and that was yeah. that's why that's why like you saw our offense our offense sputter with him.
0: I had visions of last year when I saw when that ball was just hung up in the air like that. Now Stetson Stetson can come. Can like we say Stetson can come in and win us games? He made a really good throw to Kiaris uh, actually right in front of me yesterday down the sideline. That was a fantastic throw. Stetson can do those things. Stetson's not a bad player, but when it comes to consistently pushing the ball down the field vertically like that, the ball just hangs. It just does. It, I, and it just harkened back to last year. I, I had nightmares of last year when that ball was hanging. It hung in the air for about, it, I'm sure it was like three seconds, but it felt like seven minutes because I was just spending the entire time going, Oh my God, just thinking back to last year, those flashes to, to the Alabama game and 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 all those times where We had guys open down the field, and we just couldn't consistently put it out there where it needed to be. Look, I'm not saying Carson Beck is ready to step in and be an elite quarterback. I don't think he's there yet either. But I think right now he is our best option. And it's it's tough though, Curtis. I mean, I I just want to I'm going to push you a little bit on this. So let's say we're it's week one against Clemson, right? It's a tight game. Let's say it's it's um, mid third quarter, scores tied, 21 all, right? JT, God forbid, goes down. Do you really think Kirby Smart is going to throw in Carson Beck in that situation? Is it going to happen? Would he do that at this point? Um,
2: I think he would because the fact is we, I think back last, last year um, when he went to Stetson because Stetson was the only one that really had any experience, and, that's, and this can be different this, different this year in the fact that when it comes down to it, Beck will be the one that have gotten all the second team reps, not JT Daniels, who wasn't even truly cleared to go in and play.
0: Yeah, you're right with Mathis last year in Arkansas. Like, I know JT made the trip, but really it was Mathis or Stetson, pretty much. In that, and that and obviously we saw what happened with Mathis early in that game. And so we had to bring somebody in. So I guess it was going to be Stetson and to his credit. He rallied the troops, responded, and played well. And, and that's I guess that's my point, though. Is we know Stetson Bennett can win us SEC football games. Now, is he gonna be are we gonna be able to beat the best teams in the SEC with Stetson Bennett? I think the evidence right now would say no. But we know that we can be good, you know, bad to solid SEC teams, with Stetson Bennett. We don't know with Carson Beck yet. I think the answer is yes, we can with Carson, based off what I saw. Again, he's got a, clearly a better skill set than Stetson Bennett, you know, physically from just a, you know his his height, his length, all those things, but also his arm talent, all of that. But we just don't know. You just don't know until you put the guy out there. And at least Stetson kind of has. You know, he's, the moment will not be too big for Stetson. It might for Carson Beck, but I think our coaches are going to trust what they saw throughout spring practice, what they're going to see throughout fall camp. If they think Carson is the better quarterback, I think they're going to go with him. And based on the fact that he threw the ball 31 times, and um, I think looked pretty good, 236 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. What did you make of the interception, Curtis? Um,
2: Just... Just not as much game experience, you know, like Jordan Rodgers and the made. He needed to put more air on it, like you saw when JT Daniels threw that ball to Demetrius. The way he gets the ball in the air and allows your guy to run under it and things like that.
0: Like that just comes with more experience. I think he put too air much air under the interception. I think he needed to throw that with more of a straight line because he allowed that. He because that ball hung on him and allowed Dan Jackson back there to make that play. Well, I think the biggest thing was also
2: being on the same page with your receiver,
0: sure. Yeah,
2: because that's the thing. I felt like the whole time he was just uh, like. Uh, arian was open a lot and he that's the one person he just could not connect with
0: yeah again arian arian smith was like just doing what arian smith does getting open behind the defense creating separation with that speed that's what that guy does i cannot wait to see him when he's fully healthy out there with the number one offense that could be a dynamic uh a dynamic situation with him and jt and all the other weapons we had there it's gonna man we are we just really are we're loaded i know it sucks having george go, but we're still loaded at the skill Mm -hmm. positions right now yeah i Look, I'll say this about Carson too. Like, I know again, it was a spring game, so we're not talking about an actual SEC opponent or, or Clemson or anything like that. But I felt like he was in good command of the offense. Did you get that feel, get that sense watching him play?
2: I did actually. I do agree that there were he never questioned if he was in charge or not.
0: Yeah, like, and, and that's one of the things I'm honestly in a situation like this, a guy hasn't played much and you're hearing all this hype, that's one of the things I want to look at. Are you in command out there? Does the moment look too big for you? Do you look lost? Do you look confused? Do you look like you're having trouble reading defenses? Are you indecisive? I don't think it is. that was the case at all for him. I thought he he was decisive. I felt like he was in good command of the offense. I He was, for the most part, very accurate. Yeah, he had the interception. It was an overthrow. But overall, I thought he was accurate taking checkdowns, making good decisions the whole nine yards. I thought he looked good. I think he lived up to the hype coming in. To, to G day, based off what we'd heard through spring. Now that I'd heard he throws the best deep ball on the team, and we didn't see him throw the ball, first, push the ball vertically on the field too much. We saw the one to Darnell and in the interception, had the overthrow there to Arian. But I'll give him, I'll give him a pass on that until I see him a couple more times. It's almost too small of a sample size there. But yeah, I think it's pretty clear. I, I don't think that's an overreaction. I think it's he's the clear backup right now at this point. All right, last one here, curse Before we move in, just kind of a rapid fire thing in the show. You kind of alluded to this earlier. I'm just going to throw this out there. Georgia's defensive line is not one of the best. Georgia's defensive line is the best defensive front in the United States of America. Overreaction or appropriate reaction? I think it's appropriate. Like Clemson, yes, has Brise,
2: however you want to say it, and Murphy. But we have Jordan Daniel – or Jordan Davis. They've got Thomas uh, as well. White. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean I don't I, – I, don't, I wouldn't take him over. I mean we've got Jordan Davis, Devalte Tyler Davis. Wyatt and Jalen Carter, just those three. But then you also throw in Trevon Walker, who's a man among children at that defense, you know, at the DM position. So I think he's actually better than Malik Herring. We, just those four right there. And you also throw in quality depth with Julian Rochester. Um, I think Snack Grayson's going to be a really yeah. good going forward.
0: And I think, like, I know technically our outside linebackers are not defensive linemen. I understand that. But they play with their hand in the dirt on the defensive line. Like, we play even man fronts quite a bit. And if you're going to throw in a guy like Miles Murphy, who's basically a defensive end, like a pass rusher more or less, then you got to throw in our pass rusher in the conversation as well. I mean, is that fair? I mean, I can see it. Yeah, I mean, they play it down there. I mean, if you, and again, I know they're outside linebackers. It's not defensive line, but they will play. Like, Adam Anderson will line up. Like, even Adam Anderson will line up with his hand in the dirt. Noah Smith will line up with his hand in the dirt in a four-man, even-man front. So, I think if you, if you throw them in the equation, I think it's no contest. I think it's absolutely no contest. But even if you don't involve them, even if we're just talking about Jordan Davis, who I think is the best interior lineman in America, if you're talking about Devontae White, if you're talking about Jalen Carter, if you're talking about, uh, out there, you got Travon Walker out there. I, I don't know, man. Like, I just – I don't – and I know people are going to say, oh, you're just being a homer, and that's, that's the knock on me. That's fine, whatever. But objectively, did, did you guys watch GA? Did you watch the team last year? I think objectively you can say this is the best defensive line in America. We've got speed – we've got guys that have the athleticism, be speed rushers. We've got guys like Jordan Davis who are immovable objects that free up everything else. I don't know what we're missing along the defensive front. And I do believe as good as Clemson is and, and Alabama is going to be good. There's a lot of good defensive fronts out there. I think our defensive front is the best defensive line in all of America. And I think that's going to be proven out throughout the course of the 2021 season. I don't think that's overreaction at all. I know. I know.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com Now that's L I B S Y N ads.com. All
0: right. Well, that's all the hot takes, but there's plenty left to talk about. We're not gonna be able to cover all this in one episode. So we'll probably be doing this over the next week or so. Let's talk about. So to wrap up the show, Curtis, what we're going to do is we're going to go rapid fire down the list of players that I've got for you. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to give me your quick thoughts on their performance. Yesterday, let's start. We talked about him briefly. Let's just throw him out there real quick. Brock Vandegrift. Give me 30 seconds on Brock
2: Um, I thought he did good, some good things, especially when he, um, you know, using his legs and things to his strength. Um, I thought that run, that one run he had where he pivoted out was a very nice run actually. Um, and you can see the talents there.
0: Yeah, that's what Brock. That's what I was saying in the stands yesterday. Is like, is Brock ready right now? No, he's not even close to ready right now, and that's to be expected. I'm not disappointed at all because I didn't. I didn't have any expectations right now from like a knowledge standpoint and a comfort level standpoint. Like, no, you just can't at this point. But you saw the tools. You now he threw some balls. So he should not throw. I think it was Lad McConkey. He just got what, hung out to dry on one of those throws. Yeah, should never have thrown that ball. But he also fit a couple balls into tight windows, and it worked out because he's got a good arm. Uh, I thought he was fairly – there was one throw that he had Darnell on the sideline. He, he missed him there. I thought he was fairly accurate. Um, his head was clearly spinning. But you saw the athleticism. And that's one thing that he has that the other guys on the roster at quarterback just don't have. I mean, JT moves well enough. Carson moves better than JT, but he doesn't move it at a Brock level. So if you look at it – and I know that we'll have Gunner Stockton coming in next year as well. But if you look at the, the future battle in 2022 between Brock and Carson that Carson is ahead of him right now clearly. But Brock has that athleticism that Carson does – he has a level of athleticism that Carson Beck does not. So that's one little thing he's got over him, but we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, for his being his first time out there in front of the crowd, I thought Brock played perfectly fine. We saw, we saw him flash. Some things he's got to work on clearly. But, um, yeah, nothing disappointing at all. Darnell Washington, Curtis, there's a lot of buzz about Darnell on social media. What was your take on his play?
2: Um, I think that this whole year in the weight room, you're finally starting to see a payoff where he truly didn't get to get it when COVID hit, and now you're seeing what he can really be.
0: An absolute freak. That's the only word that describes him, freak. Did you, like, okay, so I know on the broadcast, they they were talking about how he's up to 280 right now, right? But it's one of those, it's kind of this weird thing. Like, yeah, okay, I'll take your word for it. He's 280, he's gained weight, but didn't he look like he had trimmed up?
2: Well, that's like Cole Kubelik said it perfectly. He's like the guy. Apparently, is 280 pounds. Yet he looks like he's got a size 32 waist. And I actually agree. I mean, the guy yeah. looks like, like you don't. You don't look at him and, like it's not like Ben Cleveland or someone like Isaiah Wilson and all those people. Like they carried that weight. No, this guy, you don't. You don't. You just don't believe it.
0: I mean, when you're that tall and you have that kind of frame, you can still be too it. You just got to move the weight around. But in the stadium watching the game live, I was looking at him. I was like, man, this guy. He just looks like he's moving better. He looks trimmed up. He's still huge, but he looks trimmed up. And then you go back and you watch the replay and you hear Jordan, Day, Jordan Rogers say he's 280 pounds. And it's like, huh? He looks he looks like he's thinner to me. He looks like he's in better shape. So, that's, But that's a freak. Freaks can do that. They can actually gain weight, but they look like they've trimmed up and become even more athletic. So Darnell Washington is going to be an absolute nightmare matchup problem for opposing defense this year. I can't wait to see it. And speaking of tight ends, what about his... Uh, his brother-in-arms there, Brock Bowers, true freshman. Early, I just mentioned earlier that you can't really expect early enrollees to come in and take starting jobs, but it kind of seems like Brock Bowers is in the process of doing that, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, once the guy puts on weight, um, he's going to be a monster. But even before then, he'll be a problem. Uh, you know, he can be a problem in the receiving threat side.
0: What did you make of Darnell and Brock being on the second-team offense?
2: Well, I don't say much about Darnell because apparently he dealt with some uh, COVID issues in spring training. Yeah, he had yeah. COVID. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, that's why I don't say much about him. Um, and maybe they're just trying to see what some wasn't like Brett Scyther, however you can say it was going to do because this, you know, he's very close to just being completely passed up.
0: I mean, I think that's I think that's already happened. Um, I hate to say it, you know, I don't wish any I want all of our players to to excel, but. I think Brock's passed him up, and that's pretty clear. Uh, do you think uh, – yeah, so Brock obviously is a true freshman. Darnell coming off COVID, so, you know, maybe that's why they're the second team. Maybe it was – was it possibly just kind of trying to level out the team? Like, we didn't want to make it too unfair? You know, like we want to have some players for Carson back to work with? Yeah. Yeah, maybe That's something – like that. I don't know. Just throwing something out there. But I think when week one rolls around, I know that Fitzpatrick does some good things. He's a good solid player. He's just not – he's not the athlete that Brock Bowers is. He's not the threat in the passing game. He's not that that kind of vertical threat from the tight end spot, which you don't find very much. You don't find vertical threats from the tight end spot. Brock Bowers can be that. So, yeah, he needs to continue to work on his blocking game. I thought he—I actually thought he blocked very well, considering he's only been on campus for a couple of months. But I think Darnell and Brock Bowers are two starting tight ends. I think we're going to see a lot of 12 personnel with two tight end looks, and I think they're, they're going to see the majority of those reps. Fitzpatrick will work himself in there as well, no doubt. But I think those are going to be our top two tight ends to me, and that's pretty clear to me at this point. All right, uh, Kendall Milton, what was your take on his play?
2: Um, I 100% agree with Jordan Rodgers. who said he's not going to start off as the guy, but by the end of the year, he, he, he should be the guy.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get much to say on that other than that Kendall Milton's just a stud. He looks—he's he, looked, looked, like he's trimmed he's up. Looking some. the
2: part now.
0: Yeah, he looks confident out there. There's no sense of hesitation. He looks kind of like Darnell. Looks like he's trimmed up, moved some weight around. He's in even better shape than he was last year. And he was in good shape last year. Uh, not—he's not a guy that's got you know elite home run speed. He's got great acceleration, great footwork. He's got great vision. All those things that that you need to see in running backs. All those traits, he's got those in spades. I love Kendall Bill. I think he's going to eat into Zamir White and uh, James Cook's carries quite a bit this year. Speaking of Zamir White, what'd you make of Zeus?
2: Uh, I mean, he Zeus is nothing Zeus, right? different.
0: Yeah, Zeus yeah, is I didn't Zeus. See really. I will say this to Zamir White's credit. Uh, we're talking about like you know, last week, are they are they playing? Is Del McGee playing favorites by running Zeus out there? Wouldn't you agree though that Zamir White is ahead in pass protection? And right now, if we're gonna throw the ball as much as we might throw the ball this year, isn't that kind of important as well to have him out there in those situations?
2: I mean, yeah, in this time, but it was hard for Kendall Milton without a spring to get those reps and get in there and learn that. Uh, but he uh, as you've seen, that this is probably that's probably one of the biggest things he's working on this offseason is to improve his pass pro because that might be the difference maker in getting him on the field.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, we got about two or three minutes here, so even faster here. Jalen Kimber.
2: Um, I thought he did well. Um, I think he's positioned himself to be one of the guys it, as it currently sits.
0: He's got great hips. He's very fluid out there. He moves extraordinarily well. He's a great athlete. He's got to get big, continue to get bigger and stronger. He's got to add weight because there are a couple of plays where AD Mitchell, because he was he was he was manned up on AD quite a bit, was able to get inside of him on some slants, and that's what teams teams are going to run at him. Teams are going to throw screens at him. Teams are gonna run hitches, are gonna run slants, trying to be physical with him. That's gonna be what they do. So he has to know that, he's got. And I'm sure he. I'm clearly our coaching staff is trying to get this guy to gain weight, our strength staff, but it's just got to happen. I think he's got all the, the skill, the tools to be a really good player out there. He's just got to get bigger and stronger. And that's where Keely Ringo, that's one of the reasons I say I, I, right now, I would say I would put Keely, even though Jalen's ahead of him right now, because he had, he had all of last year. Keely's bigger, stronger, just as fast as Seth, like he's just bigger, and more physical. So I think once things click for him and start to slow down, I think Keely might jump in there as one of the starting cornerbacks as he's just got the physical profile there. Uh, one guy that I was really impressed with, Chris, uh, Ryan Davis. what you make of Ryan Davis to play a linebacker? Um, I thought he did
2: well. I mean, actually, if I have to talk about someone that stood out to me a linebacker, I thought Quay Walker played out of his mind. I mean, the guy seems like
0: it's finally clicked with him. If I had one more uh hot take, I actually have it up here, I just didn't go with it because I want to get to this segment. I had Quay Walker's gonna be a first round NFL draft pick. Is that I mean, the
2: guy, the guy right now, I mean, Tyndall's fast, but when you put him the idea of him and the Kobe in there right now. It looks dangerous because Quay was just, it looks like it's finally the click, the light has yep. finally clicked with
0: him. I, I've been, I've been telling you, I told you guys it was gonna take a while when he got here because he was new to that position. But 6'4, 240, moves like he does, can cover, can blitz. That guy's a total package. I think he's going to be a first-round draft pick. But Ryan Davis is also a guy that I was really impressed with. He He's moving really well. He's been hurt basically his entire time here now. Athens. He's even going back to his senior year of high school. But the guy can move. He's healthy. I think he's a guy that can get in, get on the field in third-down situations. Demas Johnson coming in later this summer. C.J. Washington the 2022 class. I think we are in going to be in outstanding shape at inside linebacker moving forward once we get a couple of these guys on campus. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. It was an awesome, awesome day here in the Classic City yesterday. I hope some of you guys were able to make it out. The town actually came alive for the first time, I don't know, since November of 2019. Yeah, I know we had home games last year, but just living here in town, it didn't feel Like a home game weekend this year when we actually had home games, the town just wasn't the same. It wasn't what it is in any normal year, which obviously nothing has been what it normally is the past year or so, but we were back, baby. We were back this weekend. The town was alive. People are out and about. I will say Athens over the past month or so. like COVID just basically doesn't exist in Athens, Georgia anymore. At least that is the impression you would get if you walk through downtown any weekend over the past month or so. Restaurants and bars are back at full capacity. The early curfew is still in effect. I don't know when that's going to change, but Athens has been coming back, but we just haven't had that kind of environment, that kind of game day environment, in a long time, man. It wasn't quite a game day environment, but it is the closest thing we've had in about a year and a half. So it was a glorious weekend here in the Glass City. I was afraid of my rain; the weather held off. It was nice. I actually had a my, my, the seats I sat in at the game were kind of in the shaded section, so that was even nicer. So just just an awesome weekend, and I cannot wait for college football season to actually get here. It's that little taste, that little oasis in mid-April. But here we go for a couple more months of the off season before we finally get to week one in early September. But hope you guys had a great weekend. We'll be back covering more of G-Day later on this week and into next week also. Obviously, I know we were not able to cover everything that we want to cover and everything that you guys want us to cover. There's a lot of meat left on that G-Day bone. So if there's something that we missed that you're curious about, you want to hear us talk about on the show over the next week or so, please feel free we encourage you guys let us know on twitter send in your questions at glory underscore uga you can just tweet them to us you can dm us you can also email us if that's the for you glory Podcast at gmail.com i'm gonna start doing a better job of checking the email i don't check that as much as i as i should but i will definitely start doing a better job of that because i know questions are coming in left and right but uh, yeah feel free guys Send them in we welcome the questions we'll make sure to cover everything you want us to cover post g day here over the next week or so but Thanks for listening. Charlie and I will be back later on this week, so look forward to that. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go, dogs!